stories to live by, and I'm even more privileged to have some amazing artwork to go along with my message that was painted for us by Kathy Hayes. So can we just thank Kathy for that? It's amazing, isn't it? Stories to live by. I think there's something about stories, isn't there? I love the name of this series, Stories to Live By, because I think it captures what a parable is all about. A parable is ultimately a story that Jesus told that held a kingdom truth in it, that we could latch on to, we could apply to our lives so that it would change the way that we lived. So literally, they are stories that we can live by. And we've got an opportunity to look at another one of those stories this morning, but before we do, I think there's something about a story, isn't there, that just connects us, that just engages us. When someone starts to tell me a story, I lean in that little bit more. I'm engaged with what they're saying. We remember stories. We love stories. Does anyone read books? Yeah, that's still a thing. Wow. I'm your stereotypical millennial. I'm all about the movie. I don't care if there's a book. I will go straight to the movie. I feel like I'm losing a bit of credibility up here already. Um... But movies, they're stories too, okay? They've got, you know, your beginning, your middle, your end. They're a narrative. And God, I believe, created us to connect with stories. And if you follow that train of thought, well, that's why I watch Netflix. God created us to connect with net. No, it's probably a little bit of a jump, but I I think it kind of works. I think it kind of works. Um, But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13 this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn to Matthew 13. I see a few Bibles in the house this morning. If your Bible's glowing, I have less respect for you. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I've got a glowing Bible. Glowing Bibles are real Bibles too. All right. So Matthew 13. Now, if you turn to Matthew 13, what you'll notice in almost any translation that we're in, it'll have a title up the top that'll say most likely parable of the sower. Parable of the sower. Now, if you're feeling really game this morning and you've got a tangible, traditional, old-school Bible with you, I would encourage you to cross out the word sower in the title. And keep in mind, we're not editing the Bible when we do this because those titles were added afterwards as a guide for us. But the reason I'd encourage you to cross out the word sower is to write the word hearers next to it instead. Because as we start to unpack this parable, we'll start to realize very quickly that Jesus never intended for us to focus on the sower. The focus point for this parable is actually on the different types of hearers that we see appear. So it might just act as a little bit of a reminder for us when we look at this parable that it's actually about the hearers. So I just want to work our way through the parable together, starting in verse 1 in chapter 13 of Matthew's Gospel. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered around him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow. As he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. They immediately sprang up, but since they had no depth of soil, when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns and grew up and choked them out. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, 
some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And then he ends on this line, he who has ears, let them hear. It's almost like he ends this illustration and then what he says to these people is, you know, what I'm kind of saying to you is to hear. It's that verse that makes me believe this parable could more accurately be called the parable of the hearers because at its core, it's about hearing. So that's the question I want to ask us this morning. Are we hearing the Word of God? Are we hearing the Word of God? But before we move any further, I think there's a couple of things we have to understand about the culture and the context of the people that Jesus was communicating to. I think that's important because the Bible was written to a particular people at a particular time. And these particular people were farmers. You know, whether they, it was their day job or not, they would have understood some of the concepts around farming. For us in our society, I think we're a little bit more distant from farming. You know, 90% of us think our fruit and veg comes from the supermarket, and I'm pretty content with that myself. But for these people, they understood what farming was. But to give us an idea, a farmer, he would go out to his fields, and he would have this sack of seed, and he would walk along really narrow paths through his field, and he'd take out handfuls, and he would throw it as he went by. So it wasn't this really refined place the seed where you want it to go. It was this random scattering. And that's where this parable comes from. That's what it's talking about. You can imagine that the seed is falling on different types of soil. There's something else that we have to understand about the culture and context of the people Jesus was communicating to, and that is that they were highly Jewish. Jesus himself was Jewish, and that's important Because there's one thing for me that stands out more than anything else when we look at the Jewish culture, and that is that it is a culture of learning. They have this immense value on learning. And even if you go to a Jewish synagogue today, they'll have what they call Torah classes, where they will study the first five books of the Bible. Many of them will even learn these books off by heart, word for word. That just blows my mind. Because they have this immense value on knowledge, understanding things, knowing things, information. But there's a second side to the Jewish culture, and that is that it's a culture of discipleship. They have this immense value on discipleship. And an interesting thing about this is that knowledge and discipleship aren't seen to be two very different things within Jewish culture. They seem to be one and the same, in that it is not enough just to know something, but you have to see it discipled into your life. That's what it means to learn in the Jewish culture. That's what it means to hear something. It means to hear the words, but then to also hear it with your heart in a way that you see it discipled into your life. This is what the Jewish people would have been hearing When Jesus said these words, he who has ears, let them hear. Jesus wasn't just saying, hear the words that I'm speaking to you. He was saying, take hold of these words in your heart. Disciple them into your life, because when we do that, that's when we see the word of God begin to change us and transform us. So Jesus, he shares this parable, and his disciples are there. They're getting a little bit confused about what's happening, and they ask the question, why do you speak in parables? And I really appreciate the disciples at moments like this, because if they didn't ask this question, we wouldn't have this amazing explanation 
from Jesus that follows about the parable of the sower. And that's where I want to spend the rest of our time this morning, because I think there's something great that can happen when we start to see how each of these different types of soils can fit into our own lives. So I want to jump, uh, move forward a little bit to verse 18 in Matthew chapter 13, and we'll continue to read from there. And it says, Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom. Now we could just pause there. We'll finish that verse in a bit, but there's something that's just been revealed to us, which is that the seed in the parable represents the message of the kingdom. The seed is the message of the kingdom. As I was reading that, I was wondering, well, why a seed? You know, why did Jesus choose to represent God's word, the message of the kingdom, as a seed? You know, obviously seeds, they grow from something small to something a lot greater, but is there more to it than just that? And I find it quite interesting that in Genesis, when God is creating the world, we can see a a little bit of a pattern emerge in that God speaks things into existence, He speaks light into existence. He divides the waters across the earth by speaking. And then the moment where he creates the vegetation of the world, the pattern kind of changes a little bit here. And this is what it says in Genesis. And God said, let grass come up on the earth and plants producing seed and fruit trees giving fruit in which is their seed after their sort. And it was so. And grass came up on the earth, and every plant producing seed of its sort, and every tree producing fruit in which is its seed of its sort. And God saw that it was so. Sorry, God saw that it was good. What I find really interesting, it's a seemingly insignificant detail, but when God created the trees and he created the plants, he didn't just speak them into existence, but he commanded them to bear seed. And suddenly what we have is a creation that wasn't just created, but continues to create. And if we look outside, we still see this process taking place. That's what seed is about. And if we apply that to the message of the kingdom, that's what the kingdom of God is about, isn't it? That when it gets planted in our hearts, it doesn't just create and transform in us but it creates and it transforms in us until it moves outside of us. And it begins to create and transform in those around us. That's at the heart of what the kingdom of God is all about, when it is planted in good soil. So I guess the question that we need to be asking is, what does that kind of soil look like? to see that reality unfolding in our lives. But before Jesus gives us what the soil does look like, he gives us the three greatest obstacles that we will encounter to seeing that soil in our lives, to seeing that reality in our lives. And we find the first in verse 19, where it says, The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. This is the soil of the path. We have the first 
artwork over there. As I was reflecting on this type of soil and what this type of heart looks like, what this type of posture towards God's word looks like, there was only one name that I could really give it, and that is that it's a hard heart towards God's work. That's what the soil of the path means. It's a hard heart. And as I was thinking about this idea of a hard heart, I was thinking about conversations I've had with people where I can just sense they're closed off to God. They don't even want to consider God. At that point in their lives, they're just not ready to hear it. And as I was thinking about it this way, I felt really challenged by God that actually this type of soil is just as relevant inside the church as it is outside the church. Because we can all have these areas of our lives that we close off to what God is trying to do what God is wanting to grow in us. I was thinking about a simple story that only happened to me a couple of months ago. Um, I'm a big fan of rollerblading. Um, Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, So I rollerblade quite regularly. I go rollerblading with some friends to an indoor rink. But this particular time I went rollerblading, my skates were broken. So I had to use some rental skates. Now, important detail here that I need you to remember is that rental skates don't have a lot of grip compared to my skates, so they're just not quite as good. Um, So we were going skating, and then they decided to play this game called Straddle, where they put two pucks on the ground, and they progressively move them wider, and you gotta gotta skate around them like this. It just gets harder and harder and harder, and it was getting to my limits, and I just couldn't make it, you know, the bad rental skates just couldn't get me past, and I slipped out, fell straight on my arm, and just this immense pain came over my arm, and I felt like I was going to faint. I wobbled off the rink, and the guy got me an ice pack, and he said, you're done. You just need to take a break. And I was like, yeah. I was considering my arm was broken at this stage. Um, 20 minutes goes by, and I don't really need to faint anymore. Um, The pain's not really going anywhere, but I start telling myself, you know what? You could go back out. Like, as long as you don't fall, you're going to be fine. Um, I really like rollerblading, so I didn't want to miss out. So I go back out, they're just starting the speed skate. So we have to go a lot faster. I made three corners, all right? And then just bad rental skates, just couldn't hold me up, slipped down, landed directly on my arm. Pain just doubles. Feel like I'm going to faint all over again. I wobble off. The guy's like, you need to take a break. He got me the ice pack, slapped it back on. I was like, yeah, my arm's definitely broken. 25 minutes goes by this time, and I don't need to faint anymore. I start telling myself, look, if you go slow, you'll be fine. As long as you don't fall down, what's the worst that could happen? So I go back out, and I'm out there for a couple of minutes, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to faint if I'm out here any longer. And at that point, I did decide to go home. A week goes by. And we decide my arm isn't broken, but it's just basically one big bruise. Um, And it's still in a lot of pain. But I say to Jessie, I'm like, let's go rollerblading. (laughs) To which she says, we're not going rollerblading. That is a bad idea. You're going to fall. You're going to hurt yourself. I'm like, no, no. I'm not going to fall. Like, that's not going to happen. It's going to be okay. So we had a 10-minute discussion around this, after which we decided it was a good idea to go rollerblading. Um, And we went off to rollerblading. And uh, I was doing fine. Um, 
until they decided to bring out a pole and set it up over the ramp and ask the question, who do you reckon could jump this? <laughs> Which I thought, you know what? I reckon I could jump that. I think we have a video of uh, what took place when, uh, when I tried to jump the pole. Oh, uh, yeah, there it was. Um, and I did land on my arm, and I, my recovery was greatly prolonged as a result of that. But what I find interesting about that story is that I was told multiple times by multiple different people it was not a good idea to go back out there. I was completely closed off to what they were saying because I was too in love with rollerblading to hear it. And I think the same reality can actually take place with us and church in that we can come here each and every week. We can hear the words that are spoken and never truly take hold of them in our hearts, never see them discipled into our lives, never truly hear the Word of God. That's why we want to ask that question again to us this morning. Are we hearing the Word of God? So how do we know if our heart is closed off? How do we know if we have a hard heart? I think there's one question that we can start with, and that is, does the Word of God move us? Because the Word of God is powerful. When it's spoken, it should do something within us. It should stir something. There should be some kind of emotional response, I believe, to the Word of God when it is spoken over us. I just want to challenge you that maybe if the Word of God is not moving you, then you could be closed off to what He's actually trying to say, what He's actually trying to do in your life. This is the reality of the soil of the path. The interesting thing is that Jesus makes it very clear to us that it is not just about the emotion. It can't end with emotion. And this is in the next soil. We read about it in verse 20 where it says, The seed on rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. You can hear the emotion in that response. But since they didn't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. If I had to give this soil a name this morning, this heart a name, I would call it a shallow heart. The times where we hear the word of God spoken over us and we get excited about it. We want to see it begin to change us. We want to see it begin to transform us. But the sad truth is that it stays within that moment of emotion. Failing to translate into action. Because to truly hear the word of God, we can't just hear the words. We need to see it discipled into our lives. What I find particularly interesting about this soil, and we can see it in the artwork over there, is that the sun is used to represent the difficult times that we will encounter. But the reality of the sun is that the sun is what makes plants grow. The sun is what ultimately produces the harvest. 
The sun is not the problem. The sun is the same in every example. The seed is the same in every example. The only thing that changes is the soil. For this particular example, it's the roots. So what do strong roots look like? I believe they look like truth that will hold us up when the emotion isn't there to. Truth that tells us that God values us, that he loves us, that we have purpose, that we have mission in his kingdom. These kind of things that we can know even when we don't feel it. So that when the emotion wears off, there's something greater there that will allow us to endure those difficult times, to endure the sun. And where do we find that truth? Where do we strengthen our roots? The answer is very simple, and that is in God's Word. Not just on a Sunday, but every day. So my challenge for you, if you think this is maybe where you're at, you have this shallow heart. You need to see the roots strengthen, then maybe you need to take a look at what your devotional life looks like. You need to make a commitment to God's word and allow those roots to grow stronger so that when that difficult time comes up, you will endure and you will come out the other end stronger and better for it. This is the soil of the rocks. The next soil that Jesus talks about is the soil of the thorns. And we read about this in verse 22 where it says, The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. If I had to give this heart a name this morning, I would call it a tangled heart. The artwork over there, I think, illustrates that very clearly. When the Word of God, it gets planted in our hearts and it begins to grow, it begins to do the work that God wants to do in our lives, and then the things in our lives, the struggles, the temptations, the worries that were already there, choke it out. As I was reflecting on this idea of thorns, the different thorns that I've seen in my own life, I was thinking about how easy it is for me in those times to pray the kind of prayer that says, God, would you take this away from me? God, would you overcome this for me? I don't think we shouldn't pray those kinds of prayers, but I think there's another side to it in that I can just imagine God's response in those times is, I am sowing the seed. I'm just waiting for you to prepare the soil. Because the reality that we see in the soil of the thorns is that the thorns were there first. It says that the seed was sown among the thorns. That means that the thorns were already stronger. The thorns were what's established. So the seed, it tries to grow, but... Ultimately, it doesn't stand a chance. 
But if we're able to just flip that around for a moment, we're able to just imagine that we could pull out the thorns long enough for the seed to get planted first. The seed starts to grow. The seed becomes established. By the time the thorns try to come back, suddenly the seed is what's stronger and it can't be overcome. I'm not saying that we can't come to God with our thorns. God wants us to come to him as we are with our thorns. But I also believe God wants us to be part of the process of seeing his kingdom transform and change us. He doesn't have to uh, have us in that process. He wants us in that process. And if you think your heart looks a little tangled this morning, then maybe that's the challenge for you. As hard as it is to take a look at your heart and begin the process of weeding out those things that could hinder the work that God is trying to do. This is the soil of the thorns. The last soil that Jesus reveals to us is the good soil. You can see it over here on this artwork. As I was thinking about this type of soil and what name I could give it, there was only really one name that came to mind. And let's just read this verse in verse 23 where it says, The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. The only name that I could give this type of heart is a heart with a harvest. Because that's the evidence that Jesus gives us for the good soil. It becomes quite easy to ask ourselves, where is the good soil in my life? We just need to ask ourselves, where is God's word producing a harvest? Because where there is a harvest, there is good soil. In this verse, Jesus, he says, the good soil is those who truly hear the word of God. He brings us back to that idea of hearing. If we reflect on the Jewish culture again for a moment, what does it mean to hear the word of God, to truly hear the word of God? It means to take the word of God into our hearts and see it discipled into our lives. That's what the good soil looks like. Are we hearing the word of God? What I love most about this parable is how Jesus ends it. He ends it with a harvest. He ends it by showing us that it's not even about us as much as it's about seeing God's kingdom work through us to impact those around us. Because that's what the harvest is. It's seeing God's kingdom working in us to impact others. Because as we see in Genesis, when the seed is planted in good soil, it grows, it creates, it transforms in us to the point where it can't stay in us, but it has to move outside of us and begin to do the same work 
in those around us. That's what's at stake here. It's not just our own spiritual growth, but it's how much God is able to work in and through us. But it starts with the soil. It starts with what our heart looks like. Jesus is the one doing the work of the kingdom. He just wants to be able to use us in that process. That's what it means to pray the kind of prayer that says God's kingdom come in our lives. We pray God's kingdom come in our lives so that we can see his kingdom working in and through us to impact those around us. So I think the question that we can start with this morning is what does the soil look like for me? I believe we move in and out of these different soils at different times in our lives, but right now, what does it look like for you? What's your obstacle to seeing this reality unfold? Is it a hard heart? Is it a shallow heart? Or is it a tangled heart? Because I believe when we're able to be honest with ourselves, that's moving one step closer to seeing the good soil in our lives. Let's pray. God, we thank you that your word is powerful. And in that power, it wants to work in and through us. So God, we pray that we can be your vessels for your kingdom. That you would reveal to us now the obstacles that are in our lives that could potentially hinder the work that you're wanting to do through us. And help us to begin the process of cultivating the soil of our hearts so that we can start to see your kingdom reign in us and out of us, impacting those around us in this city and in this world, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.